So today, we are actually finishing up our series on Joseph, uh, and we've called it Dream On. Are you enjoying it? Good. Uh, So we've learned all kinds of things throughout this series. We've learned... Just a quick review is that God sees the beginning from the dream, he's, or the, the dream to the destiny, the beginning of a life to the, to the end. But for us, we may have a dream, but what we have to do is we have to live in the space in between our dream and the fulfillment of that dream. So the question we've asked during this series is how do we travel from the dream to the destiny, and then how do we do that well? So learning from the life of Joseph, we picked up a lot of amazing things, and we talked about pride and that the way that you hold your dream, is it in pride or not, that determines if it w- and when it will come to pass. Then we talked about the rough patches in our life, and we, and we found out that God is faithful to the promised outcome. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that the journey is going to be easy. So we also learned that Joseph had to overcome temptation, and we figured out how to overcome that is that we have to realize what we have to lose in that temptation and run, okay? And so there are times throughout our lives where we know that God is not the author of evil, but Joseph teaches us that we have to allow God to use that in our life. We found out that God is much more interested in, in the development of a character than our comfort. So then Joseph gets out of prison. He becomes the second most powerful human on the planet. And then his brothers who betrayed him showed up looking for food in the middle of a famine. And then Joseph had the test of forgiveness. We're all challenged with that test. And we all learned in the end that we need to process and grieve when people hurt us. And it's very, very helpful to actually list the things that they took from you when they hurt you. An actual list. Because if you don't process and know exactly what did they take from you, you're not going to be able to do what Joseph did, which is release what they took from you. It's called forgiveness. Then last week, Pastor Steve did an amazing job, didn't he? Do a really good job at talking about how to handle chaos when it comes into your life. Okay? Plan ahead. So maybe you're just jumping in or you missed a few of those messages. You can go back and get all those on our podcast, YouTube, as well as our mobile app and our YouTube. I mean, I'm sorry, our website. I encourage you to do that. So today, we're going to be talking about the end of Joseph's life, okay? Today, we're going to talk about leaving a legacy for your family, for your children's children, children. It's great that it happens on Father's Day too, but it applies to mothers as well. And here's the thing, is Joseph had to understand how to go through life's ebbs and flows, the detours of life, and to handle those well. And what's the final detour of life? Spoiler alert, you die. (laughs) We're all going to die. We know that. But here's the question. The final book of your life, you know, you've got every chapter from the teen years, childhood, teen, adult, uh, whenever you're older, all of it is going to be summarized by an epitaph on your tombstone. And here's the thing, is you get to write it. And so I want to I start with a small statement about Joseph and Epitaph, if you will, that was actually written 2,000 years, think about that, 1,000 years after he lived. It's written in Hebrews. We're not sure who the author of Hebrews was, but this is what the author said. He said, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus 
of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his own bones. Now, when we read this word Exodus, you know, what we think about is we think about the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, right? The parting of the Red Sea, the Passover, all of that stuff is what we think about is this big Exodus where over two million Jewish people were liberated by a man named Moses. Now, here, the exodus that Joseph is talking about is actually the exodus of his bones, okay? He was saying, look, I don't want my bones to be buried in Egypt. I want my bones to go back to my homeland. <clears throat> he was speaking of his legacy or his epitaph, his tombstone, if you will. And Joseph's legacy would be so much bigger, though, than where his bones were buried. Because what Joseph was thinking about is his own bones. But what his life actually resulted in, listen, was the freedom of over 2 million Jews 400 years later. What a legacy. In fact, Exodus, the book of Exodus, it opens with a nod to, to Joseph. Exodus 1.8 says, Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt, <clears throat> we have no idea how much our life will matter to our children's children's children. In fact, for Joseph, it was even bigger than Moses because the first Christian martyr to die his, in the New Testament, his name was Stephen in the book of Acts chapter 8. And as Stephen is getting ready to be stoned or martyred by this angry mob, what he does is he preaches a sermon. And he goes through the entire history of Israel, which is probably a good thing to do when you're getting ready to be stoned. You're going to like put it all, you preach the longest sermon that you possibly can and put it off as long as you can. Well, that's what he did. And he spends a lot of time on the life of Joseph. And he compared Joseph to Jesus because both of them had spent time in Egypt. Both of them were rejected by their brothers. Both of them went into a pit. Joseph was actually a hole in the ground. For Jesus, he overcame death and hell itself. Both of them, by their sacrifice, actually saved their nation. Both of them represent salvation because of their own sacrifice. And so what Stephen does is he describes the life of Jesus by comparing him to the life of Joseph. But Jesus also talked about an exodus. Okay? And it was even bigger than Moses. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, he dies and resurrects. And because he raises from the dead, at the end of the time when, when he returns, and he will, all those through all the world, through all of history, who claim not only to believe in Jesus, but also to follow Jesus, he has to be the Savior and Lord, they will be resurrected with Jesus, and that is going to be an exodus out of this world. And he's going to take us to a new heaven and a new earth. Now, stick with me. I'm setting this up, okay? Now, <clears throat> if Joseph could come back and be with us right now, he would be so amazed at what I just said. You see, Joseph can't imagine. He could not imagine the impact that his life would have. Not just for generations, but listen, for millennia. And the point for you and the point for me today is I have, you have no idea. If you could come back 100, 200, 1,000 years, what is the impact that our lives will have on the world around us? And here's what I want you to see is that your life can 
have a long legacy, but you get to decide the shelf life of your legacy. We get to decide our legacy based upon how, like Pastor Steve talked about last week, about the chaos that's put in front of us. Because all of us have chaos one way or the other. Whether you're here, whether you're online, there are, we all deal with chaos. And how we look at that chaos, how we deal with that chaos, will determine the length of our legacy for our children's children, children. You might think, I don't have the advantages that other people have. You know, I, don't, I didn't have parents that gave me money I, or raised me well. I didn't have a great education. I don't have a lot of natural skills. I was actually held down by those around me or society. And in one sense, <clears throat> listen, it's an advantage to have an advantage. But there's another sense where when you come from behind, you shine brighter. The gains are brighter when you come from behind. All right, so let me show you the final chapter of Joseph's life, and I'm going to prove this to you. Joseph's dad, Jacob, or Israel as sometimes he's called, he, uh, he is at the end of his life, and he's never met his grandsons. I'm not sure why, but he's never met Joseph's child. And so we pick up the story here in 48.8. So when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, his grandkids, he asked, who are these? These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Joseph said to his father, uh, and then Israel said, bring them to me so I can bless them. Now, a blessing for us is kind of like when somebody sneezes and somebody says, God bless you, right? It really, it doesn't mean much for us. We use it, you know, flippantly. But for the Jews, it was not a, just a nice thing to say. It actually had an enormous reality attached to it because you could use your words and you could speak reality over someone that you had authority or spiritual authority over. So what Jacob is going to do is he's going to use his words to bless his, grand, his kids and his grandkids. <clears throat> and by the way, the older child got a double portion of what everybody else got. So when the father was getting ready to die, he would divvy up the inheritance, and the oldest son would actually get twice as much as all the others, all right? <clears throat> now, as people who live in the U.S., we really don't understand this. It was actually part of their culture that the oldest son, he was the strength of your loin and loins, and he got a double portion. So with that in mind, this is what happened. When Jacob offered to bless his, his children, he's actually giving Joseph a double portion because he's giving two blessings to the two grandkids, all right? <clears throat> so Joseph, he positions his, his uh, two children, Ephraim and Manasseh, with he put Manasseh, which was the older one, by his father's right hand, which represented the double portion, and then he put the other one by the by the left hand. And Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob is about dead. He's blind. He can't see. And so what he does is he crosses his hands and he puts his right hand on the younger one. And Joseph says, uh, "No, no, no, Dad, Dad, you got it wrong. You know this is this is the older and this is the younger." <clears throat> and listen to what Jacob says. Watch this. He says, "I know." I'm not that senile, I know. He says, but he, and he too will become a people and he too will be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations, not just a nation. <clears throat> and then listen to the blessing. Listen to what Jacob speaks over his grandsons. He says, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Not the older and the younger, but the younger and the, and, the, and the older. Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And here's what I want for us to recognize today, okay? This is, this is very unintuitive, but it's incredibly biblical, all right? Your words create worlds, okay? They're not just sentiments. They have creative power. They're not just what you say. Your words create or have the power to create worlds. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? Genesis 1-3 says, God said, let there be light. And then there was light. God created with his words. That's his nature, okay? Then in the very same chapter, later on, he said, let us, he was speaking of the Trinity. He didn't have multiple personalities. He's talking about the Trinity. They all, God got together and said, let us make man in our image so that they may rule. Listen, you are made to rule in the image of God, and the way that God rules is with his words, okay? You're made in the image of God, and therefore, you rule. You create with your words. Now, I'm not saying that you can say, dog, bang, and you've got a dog. Tree, ooh, wow. You can't landscape with this, okay? But here's the thing. We all know this deep down inside because we know we're created in his image, and that is this that the words that were spoken over you in the past have become reality many, many times for you. Some of us, right, some of you, you've got a scar on the inside of you because of one sentence that you remember, and it's coming to mind right now. Maybe it was your father. How could a son of mine become so stupid? You'll never amount to anything. Why are you such a screw-up? Some of you, it was one sentence that your mom spoke over you. I don't know why I ever gave birth to you. She may have been at flip it, but you, but you heard it. You sure are getting fat. Why well, wish you were more like your sister or like your brother? Here's what I know as a parent. Some of the words that my son remembers me saying, I don't even remember me saying. Because what I was saying was not about him. It was actually about me. See, some of the hardest things that, you, that you're bearing, that people spoke over you, they weren't even about you. They were about the tension between your mom and your dad. They were about that teacher's insecurity. They were about your father's frustration, your mother's fatigue. But that doesn't change the fact that words create worlds. And look, it's not just mom and dad. It could be a mentor, a pastor, a parent, a coach, a teacher. Here's the thing. If we have authority, if you have authority over somebody or influence in their life, then words can actually create a world for them, for the good or for the bad. Your words create worlds. Now, I want to I kind of pop the hood a little bit on 49 to kind of unpack this. Because in this chapter, Jacob, Joseph's dad, is going to speak over all the sons. And it's interesting that as you look at what he said over his children, everything that Jacob said is actually true. But not everything that he said came to reality. Just cooked your noodle right there. Anytime that people speak into our lives, 
there is always three voices that are there when that happens, okay? In this scenario, it was the voice of a father or, uh, or in other words, an authority, okay? The parent, the pastor, the teacher, the coach, all right? Now, that voice, it has immense power over us to actually create the world. And so if you're in that role, then you have that power, okay? But here's this thing. You also have a voice. When somebody speaks over you, you also have a voice and God has a voice. Now, you can't control what other people say to you or even about you, but we can all, we can control the volume of these voices, all right? So I'm going to kind of dig in and scratch and sniff a little bit at these three voices, all right? So let's talk about the, the voices of the authorities in your life, okay? Joseph's father, Jacob, he said to his first, first son, Reuben, he said, you are my firstborn, my might, first sign of my strength, excelling in honor and excelling in power. That's great news, right? Speak that all day long. That's his firstborn. That's his firstborn. But watch this. Then he says, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. And he had. All right? What he's doing is he's referring back to uh, a very unfortunate and ugly incident where Reuben had actually slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. Now, that was all kinds of messed up, and so we're not going to go into that today. All right? But here's the thing. Some of us, we've been there, where we made a mistake, and it was devastating. You remember it. Maybe it cut ties with a dear friend, a family member, or a spouse, and you have lived in that space. But if you fast forward through the history of Israel, the tribe of Reuben, this, this tribe of people, they really never amounted to much. The father's words, as difficult as they are, his words created a world and held this son into his past. Some of us are living in a world of somebody who was an authority over us, a parent or a teacher or some type of mentor, and I'm telling you, you don't have to live in that world. Joseph had a lot, way more negative voices in his life than Reuben ever had. He could have listened, Joseph could have listened to his father when he shared his dream, and the father said, hey, look, you're, man, you're getting too big for your britches. You think we're going to bow down to you? Joseph, don't talk like that. That's not happening, and yet did it. Joseph had a dream, a vision from God, and his dad said no. And yet Joseph, through his actions, his persistence, he overcame the world that his dad spoke over him, and he turned the volume down on his dad's voice. Okay, He could have listened to his brothers who said, look, you're not even worthy to be part of our family. No, nope. he turned the volume down on those voices of his brothers who were over them. He could have listened to Potiphar's wife who falsely accused him of rape. He could have turned that volume up and said, man, I didn't rape her, but, and I don't understand what I did wrong and maybe God is punishing me and surely I'm part of the problem somehow. He could have turned the volume up on Potiphar who threw him into prison after years and years of faithful servant. He had been cheated to, lied to, oppressed, all of those things. And all of us have those things in our past. But the, question, but the thing is, is you can turn the volume up on those things or you can turn the volume down on those things. Joseph chose to turn the volume up on God's voice in his life and down on everybody else's. Now listen, crisis 
can either become a, a crisis that holds you down or a challenge that holds you up, that, that pulls you up. And listen, going back to Ephraim and Manasseh, remember the two grandsons and the cross hands? If you actually look in the history of Israel, the tribe of Manasseh, which was the, the one that he gave, didn't give, he crossed his hands, was actually way more important than the one that he gave the blessing to. What Jacob spoke over some of his sons came to reality and some didn't because, listen, Manasseh said, hey, I've got a voice in this. I can change this chaos to a challenge, and he actually did because fast forward 400 years, the tribe of Israel, all of Israel, okay, they enter the promised land. There's 12 tribes, and the, and the tribe of Manasseh is given a beautiful piece of ground. It was on the west side of the river of, of Jordan, but there was another section on the east side of the Jordan. And listen, it was an amazing chunk of land, but there were a ton of enemies, insurmountable challenges, and none of the other tribes wanted it. And Manasseh stood up and said, hey, we'll take it. Well, hey, you already got some land. We gave you some. Well, that's all right. We'll take that. But we'll also, nobody else wants to take those giants. We'll take it. And they went and they conquered it. And they pushed out the people that were squatting on their land. And they established themselves as the only tribe. Manasseh is the only tribe with two territories. Why? Because they chose their own destiny. Now, if you look at, the, at the, uh, the difference between the, the promised land in the beginning and the end, no tribe grew also more than Manasseh. Here's what I want you to see, is that you are not destined to the voices that were spoken over you. They have power. You can't underestimate it, but you are not destined for that. Now listen, sometimes there's a good word spoke over you as a, when you're younger or, and you can destroy that by your actions. Or you can have a curse spoke over you, a negative spoke over you, and you can actually overcome words that were spoke over you. Why? Because that volume knob is yours. And I'm going to tell you in just a minute how to turn it up. But this, let's talk about the second voice. That's your voice. And you can either mimic what other people say about you internally or externally, or you can say what God says about you. And look, that is that space in the middle. This is where we live, where we have to decide what we are going to say about us. Are we going to say what others have said about us or what God says about us? Okay, which brings us to the third voice, and that is God's voice. Okay, so let's see what God had to say about Judah or about Joseph or so, or about Judah. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. This is one of the sons and one of the tribes. Nor the rulers of the staff between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be Judah's. This was a prophecy that Jesus the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah and that the nations would be his. Now listen. That would have been very unlikely because if you go back and you read the life of Judah, man, he makes some stupid, stupid. You think you made some stupid. He made this series of, of messed up mistakes and Judah actually gets his daughter-in-law pregnant. This is a messed up family, people. He tried to hide it and at the end, as it always does, it comes out. But you know what Judah did? He actually repented. 
instead of making excuses, he took that chaos and took responsibility. And that actually set a trajectory for his life and, and, the, and he made a huge sacrifice. In fact, in the story of Joseph, do you remember that when the brothers came back and wanted more food, and so they're starving, there's a famine, and Joseph forces them to bring their youngest son, uh, Benjamin. And since Joseph, they thought he was dead, this was the favorite son. And dad said, if anything happens, you could take him, but if anything happens to, to Benjamin, that's going to destroy me. And when Joseph sees his only full-blood brother out of his 11 brothers, this is the only full-blood brother that did not betray him. And as you remember, he had his servant put his cup in Benjamin's sack and then accused him, hey, you stole it. And watch this. It was Judah, if you recall, that actually stepped up and said, you can't punish him because that's going to destroy my father. Take me instead. Judah laid down his own life so that Benjamin could actually have a life. And watch this. In that moment, Judah never knew it, but his life was prophetic. Judah was creating worlds with his words that he that Judah was the savior or was the father of the savior of the whole world. There's three voices. The voices of the authority, people that speak over you. There's your voice and there's God's voice. And maybe you're in a place where you desperately want to turn the volume up. If I could just turn the volume up on God's voice and turn down all the other voices. But Micah, how do I? Tell me, how do I do it? Step one is to believe, accept Jesus as your follower, uh, as, your, as your savior. Uh, but listen, believe is not enough. A lot of times we call Christians believers. I actually don't like that term because believing is not enough. Did you know demons are believers? The Bible says demons and believe that he's the son of God. It was savior and Lord, which denotes that we, follow, that we not only believe, but we follow him and we obey him. The first step, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the first step to turning down those other volume, or the volume of everybody else is to believe and follow him. We have baptisms almost every month. And if you're a true follower of Christ, if you become a follower of Christ, the first thing that you'll do is you'll follow him into baptism. Jesus was baptized. So a great litmus test when you, when you pray and ask Jesus in your life is if you are actually a Christian is do you follow? The very first step is to be baptized. So if you're not gonna take the first step, you're not, you're not really a follower, all right? <clears throat> it's symbolic that you would die in a grave of water just like Jesus did where you die to yourself and then when you raise, you're accepting the resurrection of Jesus to give you a new life. But listen, it's so much more. that It's like the wedding ring of Christianity. It, it means that you're telling everybody that, look, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'll at least do the very first thing that you asked me to do. The least step that you've given me, I'll do it. And it's to let everybody know that I'm not ashamed. If we're going to leave a legacy for our children's children, children, we're going to leave this family culture, if you will. It begins with believing and following. Now, after believing and following Jesus, the very next step is, and how to elevate the voice of God and turn down the other volume is this. If you want to mute the voice of your past, 
You want to mute those voices, all the voices that have spoken death and evil and negativity over you that resonate in your mind. Here's the next thing you need to do is steep yourself in the Bible, the word of God. You've got to elevate the voice of God in your life. And this is the word of God in, in all the different ways. You're here right now on Father's Day. You're listening. And that is an amazing step. That is a great step. This is one of the reasons why we also do the one-year Bible. And somebody recently told me, yeah, I don't, just don't think I'll be very consistent with that, with reading the Bible every day. And here's the hard truth. Until you become consistent. It doesn't have to be hours, but daily in the Word of God. 15 minutes is enough to shut down the other voices and to turn up the volume on on God's voice. Because, look, if you can ingest the word of God, if you can steep yourself in the word of God, then you begin to speak the word of God, and then your words create worlds. Speak the word on a regular basis. Read it. One of the best ways I know is the one-year Bible. All right? So, number one, believe and follow. Number two, steep yourself in the word of God. Don't underestimate that. Not just on Sundays, daily. Get in a meetup where you can discuss it in every way that you can. And then thirdly, sow God's voice into the lives of other people. Now listen, this, don't underestimate this either because it's a biblical principle that you reap what you sow. So how can you sow God's word into other people's lives? The more you speak life to other people, the more silent the voices of your past will become because you reap what you sow. So if you're not already a follower of Christ, a believer and a follower, we're going to give you that opportunity in a minute. But the step after that is how, ask yourself, how can I steep myself? When you think about steeping, it's like that teabag that just sits in it. How can you do that? How can you do that? And then how, who can you speak life into? intentionally. It could be children. It could be uh, all kinds of different people. So God gave Joseph a dream and God knew his destiny, but Joseph had to navigate the space in between dream and destiny, just like you do and just like I do. And so as we close up this series, the lessons that we've learned of Joseph's life, that if we apply them, we can continue to dream on and we can actually reach our destiny and, and move from our dreams to our destiny and do it well. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me?